of independent thought my name is desmond price no matter where you are in the world i want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts as always we have a great show for you today now here are our topics hello everyone welcome back to another episode of independent thought my name is desmond price for all of my returning listeners welcome back to independent thought For my new listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time listening to one of my episodes, just know that my episodes are broken into two different parts, this first segment and the second segment. My second segment segment will be a different conversation than this initial one, so don't be alarmed when you come back from the break and there is a brand new conversation with my guest for the week. Now... Let us jump right into this topic. Today, we are talking about geothermal energy. And our sources for today's episode are CNBC, ARPA-E, the BBC, Energy, the Energy Information Administration, and the U.S. Department of Energy. So why talk about geothermal energy? So a few months back, I did an episode on seaweed farms. I had a lot of people reach out to me and say how much they liked that episode, talked about how it was interesting to hear about something that was so underutilized that could be very impactful for our planet and for our economy. I personally love doing the episode. I wanted to do something similar in the future. I came across this topic and while it wasn't quite as cool as seaweed farms, I feel like it's within the same category. So let's talk about it a little bit. Climate change is happening all over the world. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. We all know that. Heat waves all over the place. Droughts happening. Floods are happening. Where I live at in the Pacific Northwest, I've been breathing in wildfire smoke almost every single day for a month and a half straight. It's disgusting. And currently, as of today, and I'm going to see this, I'm going to say this a lot because I've been saying a lot on my Instagram, the Biden administration has not proposed anything for climate legislation. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. So, We need to figure out what we're going to do about climate change. So let's start with something that is being used, but not being completely utilized. So what is geothermal energy? In short, it is generating electricity that comes out of the heat from the earth. Most notably where we see this at here currently as of today is being done next to geysers and other places where hot steam will pour up from the earth, that steam is taken and put through a turbine, which then generates electricity. 
And so basically how this works as of today for most geothermal plants that use this more traditional fashion, and we'll get into some other ways that you can generate geothermal energy later on down the episode, but the traditional way that it's done is that where this steam is coming up from the earth, there are pipes that are trying to capture it. And a lot of these are happening not just next to geysers, but there are some who will use existing holes that have been drilled for oil and gas and just using those holes to also, again, trap steam that is coming up from the earth and using that to put through a turbine to generate electricity. And in some cases, just using it directly as a heating source as well. So why talk about geothermal energy? I'm sure you've heard about it before. I knew that I had heard about it before. It wasn't some brand new thing that no one's heard of before. But what was interesting to me upon doing research for this episode was to was for me to find out exactly the implications of what it could be and how underutilized it is right now. So Jamie Beard is the executive director of the Geothermal Entrepreneurship Organization, which is at the University of Texas. She was interviewed and asked about the implications of what geothermal energy could be. She said, the Earth's heat content is more than we could use in the entire arc of our civilization, thousands of times over. Another way to think about it is that if we were to tap into 0.1% of the Earth's total heat content, we as a human species could meet our entire planetary energy needs for 2 million years. Let me say that again. We could, if we tapped into 0.1% of the Earth's total heat content, meet our entire planetary energy needs for 2 million years. 2 million years? Let's just speak about that plainly. If we were to use geothermal energy at the scale that would be necessary, we could solve the energy crisis completely. There'd be no need for any other energy source. It could be the only energy source. Now, there are some things kind of in the way of us getting to that point, and I'll talk about that in a little bit further in the episode as well. But the main point I'm trying to drive home here is, is that this might just be the purest form of renewable energy and we've barely scratched the surface in any way, shape, or form on utilizing this natural source of energy. So are we using it right now? That's the next question. Does the U.S. use geothermal at all? So let, I dug up our current electrical breakdown. If you were to look at the electricity that's being used in America right now, how is it generated? Where does it come from? So you'll not be surprised to know that 60% of all the electricity in America comes currently from fossil fuels. Not surprised, right? 20% comes from nuclear power. 19.6% comes from other renewable sources, wind, solar, hydroelectric, etc. 0.4% of our current electrical production comes from geothermal energy. And so let's ask the obvious question. 
why are we not funding this? What exactly is keeping us from investing into something that could be limitless for what we could need as a global society as far as energy is concerned? What, what is keeping us from doing this? I'm going to play a quick clip for you, which kind of goes into a little bit of the hiccups as to why we haven't been doing it just yet. We'll be right back after the clip. Though newer geothermal technologies are essentially emissions-free, it's expensive and technically challenging to drill geothermal wells. The hotter and drier the rocks are, the more difficult it is. And now that natural gas, wind, and solar are so cheap, there just hasn't been much economic motive to scale geothermal in more difficult geographies. But that's changing. Right now, it's mostly confined to very specific geographies, where naturally porous, fractured rock creates a reservoir of hot water, allowing the heat from the Earth's core to rise to the surface. All geothermal essentially works the same way. You drill deep wells down to access this hot part of the Earth, and you pump cold water down that goes through the hot part of the Earth and returns back as hot water or steam. And that's captured at the surface to turn a turbine and create electricity. And so it can work for decades. It works round the clock 24-7. The challenge for geothermal power has always been, how do you get it to work in places where you have to drill deeper or where the geology is less uncertain? Basically, unless you can see a geothermal feature like a hot spring or a fumarole, there's no way to be certain that there's a reservoir of hot water below. Another challenge is the high upfront cost, which dwarfs that of a solar or wind farm. But if you can figure out how to finance it and where to build it, geothermal has some major advantages over other renewables. And so, yes, geothermal does have some advantages over, you know, solar and wind. And I'm going to get into those in a second. But the first thing that I want to say before we get into this, because I don't want to make this sound like I'm trying to say that, oh, we should only use geothermal. We shouldn't use wind. We shouldn't use solar. Truthfully, the way forward with this new, well, not this new desire, but the way forward in trying to deal with our energy issue, getting away from, from fossil fuels is not a really picking one energy source and going all of the way, but rather using every type of renewable source that we have available. The purpose of this isn't really to say bad things about wind and solar, but rather to say that geothermal has massive, massive potential and we should be putting as much of an investment, if not more into it than other renewable energy sources. With that being said, one of the advantages that geothermal has over wind and solar is the fact that you can utilize this energy 24 seven. Now, people have said before, like, oh, well, you know, if the sun's not shining or if the wind's not blowing, you can't use solar or wind. And, that, and that's not true, obviously. You know, for solar and wind, when the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining, energy that was produced during those times where the wind was blowing or the sun was shining does get stored into batteries, which is then used later, you know, from these massive batteries that you're storing the energy in. Thankfully, one of the advantages of geothermal is that you don't need to have batteries because the earth is always hot. So as long as you are just getting the steam that's coming out of the earth, there is no need to ever store any energy because the energy is literally limitless in the sense that it will, the earth will always be hot. So unfortunately, there are not geysers all over the country. So 
there have been some drawbacks to geothermal in the past, which is why there are now people who are trying to implement new forms of technology in order to find ways to capturing steam from underneath the earth where there are not currently geysers and things like that and hot springs. Because as they were saying in the clip, if you don't see a geyser or a hot spring, it was kind of hard to know where to drill in order to utilize this steam that's coming up from the earth. And so one of the things that is being done now is a technology called EGS. And there's also another one called AGS, just for reference sakes. But this EGS one is where they drill a hole into the earth and they pump water down into the earth. And the water will split the hot rocks. And then afterwards, the, the steam gets sucked up by another pipe. And then again, you're generating electricity from the turbine that the steam is going up through. Now, just for reference sake, being fully transparent here, this is a form of fracking. But the difference between this form of fracking and what we're traditionally used to hearing about when it comes with natural gas or, or oil is that this form of fracking is a lot safer because one, the byproduct is not fossil fuels. Two, the water that's being pumped in the earth is non-toxic. And so you're not gonna have to be any, you're not gonna have anything contaminating the earth itself. And also three, when you're fracking for natural, for, for oil and for natural gas, you have to use a wastewater that gets dumped back into the earth. And when this wastewater goes back into the earth with, nat with, you know, with fracking, that pressure underneath can cause seismic events. Now, this type of fracking doesn't use any wastewater, so there's almost no chance whatsoever. The chance is very minimal that this type of drilling would cause any kind of seismic event. So it's a much safer form of drilling. The US Department of Energy says that this EGS system, this way of utilizing geothermal energy has the potential to power over a hundred million homes in America. So the US Department of Energy is very aware of the potentials of geothermal energy. But again, the reasons why people aren't really investing in this, again, is because wind, solar, a lot cheaper, natural gas, a lot cheaper, oil, a lot cheaper. People are just not willing to invest in the infrastructure that's needed in order to get these geothermal plants basically off the ground, up and running. Now, with that all being said, other nations are investing into this. Kenya has been utilizing geothermal energy since the 1950s. The German state of Bavaria is investing and they have plans to have 25% of all of their heat come from geothermal by 2050. Turkey has increased its capacity to harness geothermal energy by over a hundred times over the last 10 years. And Iceland currently has 90% of all of their homes heated with geothermal energy and 30% of all their electricity comes from geothermal as well. And now while some nations are very much trying to invest in geothermal, there are other nations, again, who are not really investing in geothermal as much. And, in, and it's nations where, honestly, they, they should be. For instance, Indonesia. For reference sake, Indonesia is the fourth largest country in the world. 
right below America, actually. They are located on the equator, and they sit on top of a string of active volcanoes known as the Ring of Fire. If they were to utilize geothermal power, they would have the largest capability of harnessing geothermal power in the world, but they have not really made any true investment into it, and currently most of their energy comes from coal. And so when we're talking about climate change, this is something that has to be addressed globally. I think most people kind of have a, an understanding of that. And while it's a little frustrating that certain other countries in the world aren't investing into it the way they need to, we kind of have to start somewhere. And so we start here with our home. And so I'm asking basically our country why we aren't investing in this more. And the economic reasons that are keeping private investors and our government from investing into geothermal, that th this is something that needs to change. We need to ask people to be investing into this more because truthfully speaking, if geothermal was adequately funded, if it was adequately invested in, if the infrastructure was put into place, we could legitimately get off of fossil fuels dramatically, just dramatically. I mean, we couldn't eliminate it altogether. I mean, because fossil fuels are used for a lot of things in this country, aside from electric and from heat. But we could dramatically reduce our carbon footprint. We could dramatically reduce climate change, severe weather, planetary detriments all over the place if we were to invest more into this energy source, which again, is clean, is renewable, is more or less limitless because no matter where you go in the world if you drill down deep enough you're going to hit hot rocks and so there is the potential to create geothermal energy anywhere on the planet no matter where you are it is available to everyone and so if you are interested in getting a little more active you can learn more about geothermal energy at geothermal.energy.gov and if you are so inclined, you can do as I did earlier today, and you can call your Congress member and ask them to, in, to go to the House floor or go to the Senate chamber and to ask for legislation that can be utilized in order to put money towards geothermal projects here in America in the future. And if you want to make that call, that number is 202-224-3121. Demand that our representatives do more to invest into this technology and other renewable sources of energy. Now, I want to say before we kind of transition to the next part of this episode, climate change is not something, again, that we are going to solve with any one thing whether it's geothermal energy, wind energy, solar energy, hydroelectric energy, potentially tapping into seaweed farms. There's no one thing that's gonna solve our energy crisis. However, fossil fuels and deforestation and all of the terrible, just like fertilizers, uh, synthetic fertilizers that we use, there, there's so many different things that are contributing to our planets becoming more and more unstable, we have to take more dramatic responses now. 
And so I hope that some of you will use some of those resources that I just provided. Call your member of Congress, do some extra reading on geothermal research. Um, don't let the stuff that I told you here in this episode be the only piece of information you learn about geothermal energy. Please go check some more out for yourself. And with that being said, we're gonna take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. Make sure you check out this message from my sponsor. We'll be right back after the break with my guest for this week. Stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the luck. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us to another episode of Independent Thought. For today's episode, I am joined by a guest. His name is David. He's from the Fresh Faces New Ideas. He is a streamer on Twitch. Thank you for coming to the show today, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm happy uh, we finally got to do this. Uh, we've been talking for a while and I'm excited. Let's see if let's get to this. Yeah, yeah. So I met this guy on a Twitch political panel. I, I First of all, everyone, if you're not aware, uh, Twitch does, there are some great like political debate panels, you know, on Twitch. I will probably have some links in the description underneath if you were interested. But I met this guy on the panel and we had some great exchanges of ideas and a couple of times that we got to talk with each other. So I definitely wanted to get him on the podcast here today. So could you just tell me a little bit behind like, what was the motivation for starting this Fresh Faces New Ideas? Like, like where did this all pop up from for you? So uh, originally, um, this was going to be my, uh, my campaign slogan. Um, so what happened was I grew up uh, like a Bush era Republican. Um, I, I, you know, I was like seven when 9-11 happened. That's kind of when I started paying attention. So I grew up listening to a lot of like Hannity and Rush uh, type of things. And then I dropped out of politics, like listening to it 
till right around 2016. Um, I mean, I still voted in the, the, I the 2012 election. I didn't vote in 08. Uh, I wasn't that old. Um, and then 16, I got into watching Trump because he was a show. And then I got into listening more about politics. And then I said, oh, wait, maybe I want to be more involved in this. And then uh, from there, I uh, tried to, to reach out to people, spoke to some people, did some other political stuff, and then ultimately decided, um, you know what, I want to try streaming. So I did a couple months of YouTube streaming where I would just create three or four videos a day, and then I did live streaming, and then I didn't get a huge amount of traction from that. And then I tried Twitch, and I love Twitch. It is so much fun. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's how I ended up streaming. It was uh, kind of from failed politics. Okay. And you, you told me a little bit briefly when we spoke before that there was a time where you thought about running for office locally. Uh, you, you live in the Northeast, correct? In, is it yeah, New I live York, in New York. I believe? Yeah. yeah. So what exactly like, you know, made you originally think that you might want to do that? And then what actually ended up, you know, making you transition away from that? Um, well, wanting to do that was, uh, I was getting very frustrated. Just, I imagine like a lot of people getting very frustrated watching politics. And right. um, I didn't, I felt like there was a need for new blood to push for the ideas that we were um, dealing with. The, the ultimate thing that changed it for me was basically the entrenched power in my area. Um, yeah. the, uh, so in New York, my senators are Gillibrand and, um, and Schumer. Right. Uh, my prior to this uh, till 2020, my congressperson had been in that seat for 30 plus years. And the only reason it switched is because she retired. Um, yeah. So basically at every level, it was like long entrenched power. And that's right. kind of why I figured I'd try a different tactics. Yeah. And, you know, you had mentioned to me that like alongside of that, also your politics seemed to change along the way. Like you were mentioning to me, like originally you were someone who watched Sean Hannity, you, you know, you know, were a supporter of George Bush. And then now you seem to be somewhere along the lines of someone who, you know, finds themselves politically aligned with Bernie Sanders. So that seems like a pretty seismic shift. Like, how does that happen exactly? I think a lot of it has to do with simply what the, the Republican Party stood for under Trump. Um, just listening to the things that he said just on face value without having like a full grasp of the history, just listening to the words he said. I was like, well, these things don't make sense. And then I started, so, so I was like, okay, well, I want to learn more about this. Um, so I started uh, looking into YouTubes, into podcasts. I listened to uh, Pod Save America, who um, they were keeping at 1600 because they were still on the ringer back then. And then I was listening to a couple other political podcasts and I found like the Young Turks and then I found more of like the, I think it's called BreadTube, which is like the YouTube political scene. And then I kind of fell into Twitch from there. Um, But it's, it's just listening to ideas and saying, Hey, you know, these sound right. And and listening to the debates over and over again between different ideologies. And I was like, listen, I, a lot of it comes down to, I have the ability to listen to facts and understand when one side is telling me something that doesn't make sense. Right. And, you know, Twitch seems like a great place to be having these open conversations. I mean, because you're able to, it's, it's a lot more drawn out. I feel like in most spaces where politics are talked about, it seems very condensed. You know, even in a podcast, it's kind of condensed. You know, we're having these quicker conversations, even though they're longer than what you would see on cable news. But Twitch, you get to kind of have these conversations for hours. And so you can kind of dive into a lot of different topics and you kind of like get into the, the real kind of, I guess, the meat of the conversation, if you will. So when someone comes to your stream, 
if they go on the Twitch and they, you know, check out Fresh Faces new ideas, what can they expect from your conversations? Uh, well, so a lot of the things that have been happening in my, in my particular chat is I have a lot of right wingers in my chat. And I've been told that's because um, I look like a centrist. Um, I, and I think that's partly because I have, I wear, uh, so I'm not sure how much of this is going to be like actually broadcasted. So for your podcast listeners, um, yeah. I wear a white hat that has fresh faces, new ideas on it. So people apparently take that as like some type of weird MAGA thing. Um, and that's how I end up with a lot of them. Uh, I've also told that because I, I do have some type of beer that I kind of look like a centrist. So that's where I end up with a lot of people who don't really align with me. Um, centrists have beards. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, it was a weird <laughs> set of comments. Um, Weird. The okay. uh, so what they'll they'll see is a, a lot of generally um, like the news articles. So the whole point of my thing is to to gather the the daily uh, information about either bills or statements that are said and try to break them down factually. Um, originally, it was mostly to just educate people about what is currently happening, understanding what bills they are, what's in the bills, and then it became well ask one more question to why this is being opposed because a lot of times if you ask one follow-up question like well why is why are you opposing this because that doesn't make sense it'll the opposition will fall apart um so the beauty of joining my streams now is uh i'm still very small if you go to someone like hassan's chat who where there's like thirty thousand people at it most of the time they're going to ignore you uh right. just because there's so many if you show up at my chat there's like eight people um and in more likelihood, I'm going to respond to you. So you can actually have a conversation with me. Um, I'm very open to having anyone on the Discord come in and have a, a debate with me. I, the, always thing I, the thing I say for that is if you want to set up an actual debate with me, give me a heads up for the topic. The, the last time I set up a debate with somebody, they gave me a topic, and then they asked me about we had gotten into a conversation with something very different. And I was like, come on. Man. <laughs> Didn't but, have uh, time no. to prepare. It, yeah, exactly. Because uh, generally, like, I have a generally good idea. Um, it is... I'm going to, to give a fair warning to people who show up uh, tomorrow, which would be the 15th. It is going to seem a little more hostile at the end um, because I've decided that I'm not going to engage with people on whether or not to take the vaccine or whether or not the election is a, uh, it was rigged unless they can actually show me some data that is new because I'm tired of having this conversation uh, because it's the same conversation over and over again. I say, here are the data points that prove the election is rigged. They say, no, it's still stolen. And they'll say, oh, but it's my choice. And I'll say, okay, fine. You can, you know, at this point, you're choosing to put yourself in danger. So unless you're going to show me like real data or something new, like I'll still talk about these things. I'm, I, I, I will still talk whenever whatever's happening in Maricopa County, whenever that's over, we're still going to discuss that. If there's like new COVID stuff that needs to be talked about, I'm still going to discuss that. But it's not worth it anymore for me to entertain this debate because what is the point of me screaming into the void? If, you're, if, we're, if I've had this conversation with you six times, the seventh time is not going to change it. There is, uh, yeah, there are going to be certain people when we discuss any issue that do not want to cede any ground, and they're not actually there to have conversations in good faith. It's more or less just let me project my opinion onto you. So, you know, I feel for you. That's a, it's a tough place to be. Uh, just, you know, for your heads up, we're recording this, you know, now, but this episode is going to come out a few weeks later, but I'll tell you about that a little that, bit later. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, so I kind of want to get into some of the more discussions around how you feel about certain policies, you know, because as I'm sure people are going to want to come to your channel, check out what you have to say, give them kind of like a preview about how you feel about certain issues. So I think the first thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, and you and I had talked about this briefly uh, previously, is uh, gun violence in America. 
And I think particularly you and I were talking about whether or not um, increased gun possession amongst a population actually led to more or led to less violence. You know, th there are some, particularly in Texas right now, as they are passing this new law that says that people can carry without a permit, carry without a license. The argument from uh, Republicans in Texas is that this will actually make the community safer because more people will have access to firearms. What is your response to that? Do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? Why do you feel that way? I do disagree. And the reason I, I disagree with that is twofold. One, at this point in time, we have more firearms than at any point in the history of the country. And we are currently in a, a pandemic of more mass shootings than at any point in the history of the country. Um, there is no comparable country to us in terms of mass shootings, except for those closely, basically in a civil war for the level of gun violence. Um, as for the actual data, so um, around March, I believe, whenever the uh, the Atlanta shooting at the um, spa happened, yes. I, that like week, there was like seven or eight shootings. And that was when this started to snowball. Um, I did uh, a live stream about this, looking into the data. And then for, if you go to my YouTube channel, Fresh Faces, New Ideas, the videos are specifically under good guy with a gun myth, part one, part two. So in it, I look at a, a bunch of data sets. One of them is directly a data set from Texas, which looked at the data from uh, 2000 to 2013. And it aggregated every mass shooting and, it's, and it broke it down to how it was stopped. The overwhelming majority of them were stopped by uh, police shootings or the person killing themselves. The lowest amount of, of uh, shootings that were stopped were by people with a firearm, was a civilian stopping it with a firearm. This was even less than people, unarmed people stopping a shooter total. Uh, this is further backed up by early 2000, uh, 2012 data by the FBI stating that um, I think it's like 15 cases or something. The majority of them are stopped generally by unarmed people. There's also plenty of data to show that having a firearm in your home actually makes it increases the likelihood that you're going to shoot yourself or a family member by accident, then are you going to stop a, um, uh, an intruder. Now, let, let's be clear about this. I do, I'm not one of those people who believe we have to get rid of all guns. And I also realize that it is not possible to remove firearms as deeply entrenched as they are in this country. Um, but I am aware that I can read the statistics that if we had just simply understanding that having more firearms is not going to make people safer, because if there was, we would see cases where people would plaster all over the television every time there was a mass shooting. Well, X happened in Texas, and Joe Schmo killed that guy with a shotgun. Or we would see these would be the talking points that we'd have. Unfortunately, we don't really have those talking points because they don't really exist. The most recent example was in Colorado, where somebody actually did stop a mass shooting. The problem is, and this is most likely what will happen in Texas, is the officers, when they arrived, the person who stopped the mass shooting was still carrying his firearm, and the officers did not know that that person was not the shooter. So they just reacted the way they're trained to, which is to assume he is a threat. So the most, so if you pull, so here is the likely scenario: if the police pull up to a scene with an active shooter, and there are civilians there try, uh, with their guns drawn on that shooter. The police will respond with, drop your weapons. And the civilians will think, well, they're not talking to me. They're talking to the bad guy. And the police are thinking, we don't know who the bad guy is. So this person is, is not following our orders, and therefore we have to deem him as a threat. That's the most likely outcome. Um, this is, that's what the police in Texas said the most likely outcome was. The other thing is, 
you see all this, you see these pictures from time to time of people walking into a Starbucks, into a subway, into just all around with like machine guns strapped on their backs, with shotguns around their backs. Like, first off, I understand you want to protect yourself, but like, are you, are you trigger, so trigger happy that you're going like, you, you think you need to be having this while you're getting a cup of coffee? Like, that's not really not, especially if you start shooting at something. Um, the people around you may not know what, what's going on and they're likely to panic and maybe somebody's not as trained as you because this was one of the, this was actually done by the, uh, the, the Daily Show. They had Jordan Klepper talk about this and he was talking with the guy who was training him. The guy's like, you can never be trained enough as a civilian to handle this situation. Um, mm. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. There's not enough, uh, there's, there's too many circumstances where people are going to think I'm going to be the hero when they're not. Um, there's not enough data to prove that this is, a, a thing in any way and even if there wasn't the data didn't prove that but there was cases like individual cases where that was a thing those cases would be talked about but they're not like a per, like a really good example of of just like the sheer one-sidedness of how this could be is um under under trump there was a a, a rise in uh, uh right-wing radical terrorism but the the response that was always prior to 20 uh prior to the the blm protest was always this one instance and the one instance was um, the congressional baseball game. In early 2017, I think it was, yeah. there was a guy who shot up a Republican baseball game they're practicing. Right. And he had some loose connection to the Bernie campaign. He either went to a rally or he had shown some support for Bernie. So it didn't matter how many things happened on one side. They always equated it back to the same thing. So in this case, if there was enough people who would stop a mass shooting with their own firearms – we right. would see those be the talking points. But because those talking points, these data points don't exist, they're just using the empty rhetoric of a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. Okay. And you know what? To be honest with you, yeah, you know, I, I asked you that question, but I was kind of I was kind of hoping you would you would lean a certain way because I, I too often feel as though these conversations kind of crop up unnecessarily. You know, I don't I don't really feel as though the population at large is really upset about the fact that they have to get permits to carry weapons. You know, I mean, I, I just, I just don't, I, even on the right, I don't really hear that as being like a true, just like conversation of like, oh, you know, our rights are being infringed on because we're asked to get a, a license or a permit to carry a weapon. So I feel as though like these laws in Texas, and I had someone come on and mention this previously in a previous episode, is that it wasn't really being asked for by the public. It seems it's more just like political posturing. And I kind of, I agreed with that person when he had that take. That was uh, the host of the Skip the Noise podcast. So uh, shout out to Ben. Thank you for coming on the podcast again. But kind of transitioning away from this topic a little bit, because I feel like we could probably talk about this for a long time. There's a lot going on with the gun debate. I kind of want to get your ideas on a few other topics. Particularly, I want to start with the filibuster. This has been annoyingly uh covered by so many different factions in our media now i have previously on this podcast said that i was against the filibuster being abolished and i gave an example for why i felt that way and then i more recently came out and said that i changed my opinion because i now believe that my original take wasn't the correct one so that's kind of how I've fallen on this. But, you know, admittedly, I've had both minds of this subject just within this year. So I kind of want to get your opinion on this now. Where do you fall on the filibuster? Do you think it should be abolished? Like, why or why not? Um, well, yes, I believe it's abolished because it's undemocratic. Um, it 
it allows the uh, the minority to rule over the majority. And it's also not what the founders intended. It kind of came around by accident um, with under Aaron Burr. So the, the history of that is much more extensive. Um, but the the whole thing is there's there's a couple of ways around the filibuster. Um, this is actually one of the first videos I did was uh, for reforming the filibuster. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. Now, I think the most likely way, and this was something that, you know, everyone talks to Joe Manchin about because he's basically the, the vocals, the vocal voice. There's plenty of other voices who are not saying anything about it because Joe Manchin's happy to. Um, so there's the outright abolishment of this filibuster and this argument of, oh, Republicans are going to use this against us just like they did when we got rid of the, uh, the judges the filibuster. Well, there's two, there's, there's two counters to this. They needed to remove the, the judge filibuster in the first place because they were stopping any um, like actual ability for the, the Obama government to function in that capacity. So it was literally just, in, we didn't have any other choice. We have to get things moving along. Um, and the other counter is the Republicans in 2016 had the House, the Senate, and the White House. If you, can, if you think for a single second that Mitch McConnell thought the filibuster was going to delay a single piece of any legislation that he wanted for one more moment that it took him to, to, to pass it, do you think the filibuster would still be standing there? I don't, because the things that the Republican Party say and what they actually pass are different. The things that they pass on a federal level are tax cuts for the wealthy, judges, and, and deregulation. None of those things require the filibuster at this point. Um, so at this point, it's how much other stuff is going to be blocked. And how much can we block it? So the, there's two ways around. There's the outright elimination of the filibuster, which will not happen. Um, the only way that's going to happen is if we end up with, like, we're going to need like 58 senators um, because we're going to lose people like Manchin. We're going to lose people like Cinema. We're probably going to lose people like Chris Coons as well. Um, there's, there's a couple of other ones. Who, the, the most likely people are similar to the people who voted against the raising the $15 minimum wage. Right. Um, so that's it. The other thing we can do is carve out. So you can um, carve out the filibuster similar to what we have now. That's what a reconciliation bill is. So for any financial matters, you only need a 50-vote threshold. The, the thing about this that doesn't get brought up enough is just because it's a 50-vote threshold doesn't mean a Republican can't vote for a Democratic bill or a Democrat can't vote for a Republican bill. So they can say it's on party lines, but that's only because they chose to do it. The, for example, the American Rescue Plan was done on party lines because the Republicans refused to help it. They, they could have easily voted for it. They took credit for things in it. They, they sure could have did. done it. Um, so the other way to do with this, uh, and I'll get back into some of the carve-outs because there's, one, there's two really important ones. Um, the other way to do this is have a talking filibuster. So the way the filibuster used to work is if you wanted to filibuster, you had to stand up and talk. And basically, whenever you stopped talking, they would take the vote. Right. Um, Ted Cruz, Green Eggs, and Ham. Well, that, that wasn't even – he didn't need to do that. He just chose to do it. Right. Uh, that's the crazy thing. The, the longest ones are people like Strom Thurmond did it against the Civil Rights Act for, for literally a day. Right. Um, so we could bring that back. So let's have people talk for 15 plus hours why they don't want people to have minimum wage uh, or why they don't want an expansion of health care or why D.C. isn't going to be a state. Like things like that could be. And Manchin has said he's open to doing that. Why they didn't bring that up to the floor and put that to the test, I have no idea. Um, because cloture rule, rules to change that are immune to the filibuster. So if they wanted to change that rule, they don't need to have 60 votes. They only need 50 plus one, which would be Kamala Harris. Right. The other way is carve-outs. So some of the options people have pushed for carve-outs are uh, voting rights, which is what the D.C. or the uh, Texas Democrats are currently arguing to mention on the 15th of July 
which would be tomorrow while we're taping this. Um, they're currently arguing that with him now. People have argued for that for the past. There's another one that I really like, and I think should just be a 50 uh, vote threshold, is whether or not D.C. should be a state. I think statehood should be decided across party lines because basically it's un-American to the, have the fact that D.C. is not a state. Um, people are going to argue, oh, it's con- there's constitutional issues, except I'm not a constitutional scholar. All I did was spend a couple of hours researching this, and I realized the answers are very simple. The issue that they're talking about is that the uh, capital and stuff can't be part of a, a state. So all you have to do is shrink what is considered D.C. capital around to like the White House and the Senate buildings. And then everything else can be a state of it can be the state of D, uh, of D.C. And this this could be done. Um, there's plenty of evidence. I mean, the, the arguments against it, like, let's be clear. If D.C. was going to to vote red or there was a red state equivalent, it would be a state. The, the, these are not like it's only because it's going to vote blue that they don't want to do it because they know that's two senators uh, they're not going to have or however many Congress people probably be one um, based on the size of it. I don't I don't really know. Um, but the, the, the response to that is, oh, they want to put two senators in is like. Yeah, but you're a political party, too. If you believe that the marketplace of ideas would win out, then you would be able to argue your ideas and they should win. So you should at least have a 50-50 chance. You know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. I mean, I, I know where I fall on the D.C. statehood thing. I, I think it's just basically pretty obvious, and I'm probably going to have an episode on it, you know, during this season. But, you know, alongside of that, you know, like, while we're being honest about the fact that, you know, the reason why D.C. is not a state is because, you know, politically it'd be, you know, dis, I guess it would be not advantageous for a certain political party. On top of that, let's also be honest about why the filibuster is remaining intact. It's not really remaining intact because, you know, Joe Manchin has some moral, uh, you know, moral feelings about bipartisanship. You know, as I covered in a bonus episode recently in June, you know, one of the reasons why Joe Manchin is trying to keep the filibuster intact is because, well, corporations are asking him to do so. So, you know, like, let's just keep it, you know, 100%, you know, like clear here. This is about corruption at the end of the day. A filibuster being abolished would mean that more legislation would actually be passed. That's something that certain corporations in our country are not that interested in, you know. But speaking of Joe Manchin, he's also bottlenecking another piece of legislation in Congress right now, which is the infrastructure bill. And this is now something I want to get your thoughts on because this has been the big, I guess, centerpiece of Biden's agenda right now. And it seems like it will continue to be going forward because it doesn't seem like they're going to be reaching any kind of consensus anytime soon. Um, what are your feelings on this infrastructure bill? Do you actually think of it favorably, unfavorably? Like, like where do you fall into it? So currently, as we're speaking today, they unveiled a, a new part of it. So the, the infrastructure bill is broken into two parts. But before that, we have to go backtrack to what Biden won. Originally, Joe Biden offered a $2.25 trillion deal over eight years. Um, that varied depending on who you wanted to talk to. Joe Manchin said he wanted something closer to four. Progressives said they wanted something closer to $10 trillion over 10 years. And the reason for that is, and this is something I constantly say to anyone, is, oh, it's too much money. Infrastructure is not something you can skimp on. If you don't put enough money into fixing the building, the building will not function. The bridge will not function. The building, will, the bridge will collapse, and then it's going to cost more money to fix it. We've seen Surfside, that building fell down. Uh, a couple months ago, that bridge in Montana cracked, and they had to go around it. Infrastructure is one of the largest projectors for economic growth, just period. 
Um, so putting more money into it is better. The other thing is this bill, the current one that is being the bipartisan one, is about $500 billion in new spending. Um, the problem with a lot of this bill is it's also privatizing a lot of our roads and bridges to corporations so that they don't have to pay taxes on things or they can tax people through uh, hikes, um, through, through, through tax hikes. It's, uh, I think it's P3s is how it's uh, referred to, but and which would ultimately trickle down and hurt uh, regular Americans. The, the plus to this is while we can see the things that could be voted on in the, the smaller bill, we are going to get this potentially $3.5 trillion infrastructure uh, re reconciliation package. Now, originally, the, uh, Bernie pushed out something that was $6 trillion. Manchin said he was closer to one. We are about 3.5 as of today, which is what they've unveiled. Um, the problem with the smaller one is there's no green energy in it. And already Joe Manchin's kind of balking at the green energy stuff. But like it needs to be done. Like waiting for this stuff longer is going to put us at, first off, at a economic disadvantage when we're trying to figure out these obviously needed technologies and not putting our research into it. So our companies, we can make the, the solar panels here, the windmills here, whatever else we're going to figure out how to make. We're giving other countries an advantage. Um, right. And it's going to cost us money to buy that technology from them instead of us making it here. The other thing is, it's literally necessary. The planet is actively on fire. Um, Don't have to tell me that. Uh, I think we're up to like 120 people have died in Portland. Um, with the, there's like, look, there's plenty of things that we, we can fix. There are things we can't fix. Apparently the mood is wobbling because why not? Um, the putting this energy into green, uh, green energy is going to be a massive influx for the country because there's data proving that green energy jobs are infinitely more profitable. They, uh, they're bigger sectors, green, um, uh, fossil fuels are dying. Like there's just too much data to show that it's it's necessary and not reaching out to this point. Like we can't keep pushing this off. These are issues that uh, fossil fuel companies have known about since the 70s and since the 80s. And we basically pushed it down the road for uh, 40, 50 years. And now we have to figure out how to do it now. And by saying, oh no, I'm worried about the 40,000 coal miners. And let's be clear, I'm not saying it's, you know, it sucks to be them, but like there's a bigger population that we have to worry about and we can figure out how to deal with this. We can do this by expanding uh, uh, UBI to them, some type of so more for social safety nets, uh, job, job training for other things. Like there's ways we can do this, but like not putting the effort into the infrastructure bill because of some idea of, oh, we we're not, we're spending too much or uh, the Republicans don't want to do it is, is just foolish. Right. And that's what I wanted to ask you just next is because a lot of the pushback that this bill gets is the idea that we are spending too much money. Like that, that seems to be the, the de facto argument for any spending. It's we can't spend anything. doesn't matter what the issue is. We can't spend anything because we're spending too much money. We have too much debt. We have too much. Our deficit is too large. How, what about inflation? What, what's going to happen to our currency? What are we going to leave for our grandchildren? These are the arguments that get presented, right? So for you, you've heard these arguments before a lot of times in a lot of these panels, I'm sure. What is your response to those statements when they're made about this, about you know spending, especially on infrastructure? Well, one, it is that if you look at certain things that you spend money on, you know that it will cause economic growth and will actually pay for itself. Um, things like infrastructure is a massive boom 
for the economy. If you look at any country that puts money into an infrastructure bill, it is a force multiplier. It's similar to people who argue against uh, putting sex education, putting condoms and things like that. For every dollar you spend on that, you get seven or eight in return. So that's what infrastructure would be. As for inflation, I, look, I'm not a, an economic, uh, economist, so there's possible that there, there would be some inflation issues. But I do understand that a lot of the inflation issues are caused because we're coming through a global pandemic where all the supply lines have basically fallen apart. So things are obviously going to cost more as the both the country comes back together and the world figures out where all the supplies and stuff comes. Because unlike America, other countries aren't as fortunate enough to have so much vaccine, they just refuse to use it. Um, so that's obviously a call for inflation. So the, the response I, I ultimately have is just say, it's going to pay for itself and do it anyway. And if it doesn't, just say it pays for itself anyway. That's what they did with the tax cuts. We always find money for tax cuts or for war. Why can't we find money to build a bridge? Literally, it's literally to build a bridge or, or, or to give healthcare or to increase education. We're really good at giving rich people money and killing other people with it. Let's try to focus on ourselves with this money instead. Amen. Thank you for that statement. Um, I don't know that I have anything to add on to that. You know, I, I think the other hot button topic in the news that I want to get your thoughts on here as we're kind of like wrapping this up a little bit is the January 6th commission. This was talked about for months, for months. And I feel like it's still continuing to be a topic of conversation. It seems like there is now uh, some extra surveillance that is coming out of what happened at the insurrection we're now we're seeing the the capitol police are now getting extra surveillance powers all over the country um in the wake of the january 6th commission and how it was not passed uh what are your thoughts around it do you think it should have been passed or do you think it was flawed like like where like what do you think about it i think the republicans made a mistake for two reasons um one is just optically this looks very bad um, the, I watched the insurrection on Fox news while it happened. Cause I was, I was like, they, they, what are they saying? Cause I was like partly convinced that they wouldn't even be showing it. Um, this is not a thing that they can downplay as much as they're going to try. Um, and the reason I think they, they ultimately did is cause they know who's go it's going to hurt them because they know it's their supporters. Then no matter what they tell you, whether they think it's Antifa or BLM or the FBI, if they say that to you, then your response is, well, then why did you vote against it to find out and hold them accountable? And the reason they did is because they know that's not who did it. Now, as for, I think the original, uh, the first bill was flawed. And here's why I think it's flawed. It didn't have any teeth. Um, it was a 50-50 split. And the, uh, the, the chair who's going to be picked by the Democrats didn't have any uh, override power to, to break a tie. And the only way they could issue subpoenas was with a, an agreement with the co-chair and or with a majority agreement. So because they couldn't do anything, this thing was basically going to be toothless. And the other reason it would be toothless is we've seen subpoenas don't really matter. Um, it was like two months ago, Don McGahn was responding to a 2018 subpoena. Um, if, you're, if they're not going to have the power to at least arrest people for dodging subpoenas or, 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 however, or speed these things through the courts faster, there, there's no point in doing this. So the other reason I think they screwed up is because now we have a partisan, uh, a, a truly partisan one. And the issue is who is, uh, who is McCarthy going to push on? Um, I don't think we're going to get the, the Laura Bobitz, the Paul Gosars, and the Barger Taylor Greens. But we might, we're probably going to end up with 
like a Jim Jordan or maybe a Louis Gomer and probably maybe one respectable Republican um, besides, uh, besides Cheney. And now that there's going to be an actual investigation into this and they're going to look into the things, they can sh- scream and cry about it being uh, uh, partisan, but they turned down a bipartisan one. It was literally John Katko, everything he asked for, they got in that bill. And then when they realized they got it, because I think they sent them in and say, ask for all this, and there's no way they're going to give it to you. And then they did, and they're like, oh, we can't have this anyway, and they backed the bus over him. Um, and then John Katko came out against the, the second one. I don't know why. I, I'm pretty sure those tire tracks are still fresh, bro. Um, like, it, I can't, I don't understand. It's not like, I, the people who say it's like the temple democracy and stuff is, is a little cringy, but it's, it's mostly like, we need to know. We need to know which lawmakers were involved. There's, there's a lot of questions about it. We need to know, um, you know, there's, there's a reporting saying that certain lawmakers like Ayanna Presley had their panic buttons removed. There is, we have the tweets that Lord Boebert was tweeting. This is 7076, and this is where Nancy Pelosi is during it happening. There's reporting that Marjorie Taylor Greene was giving these people uh, tours prior to this. There's reporting that Kevin McCarthy called Donald Trump, and Donald Trump said, well, I guess they care more than you do, or, or that he called Tommy Tupperville. Like, there's a lot of reporting and stuff that we need to get to the bottom with. And there's this idea of what did they know and when did they know it? Well, let's find out. If we find um, these people, I've, I've literally had somebody argue with me that the governor of D.C. didn't call the uh, didn't call the National Guard. And I went, well, first off, D.C. doesn't have a governor, so they can't do that anyway. Um, second off, that makes no sense. And there's reporting that they had to go to Mike Pence to get it. Uh, so we have to understand what happened so we can fix it. If this the, the true fear of something like this is we end up like something like the Patriot Act. We, like where it gives enhanced spying powers. And that I think is universally understood on both sides as very bad as when um, it happened in 2000 or the early 2000s, at least people were like, okay, it's patriotic for us to try to do this. And now we've understood how it's uh, backlash. So I don't think we're going to end up something like that, but we hope. do need, there's always the hope. You never know. Um, and if it, if it comes out, that's the answer. I'm going to be fighting against it as hard as the, the probably Tucker Carlson, different reasons, but that's not the point. Um, like the more answers we have about this, the better, because right. if we don't have answers and we don't um, look into how to stop this, it could be worse next time. We are, we were very lucky. Um, we know that officer, uh, Goodwin, what, what was that officer's, uh, officer's name? Uh, the one who said Mitt Romney. Right, right. I, it was good something. I forget what his yeah. name is. He, we know for a fact, he literally saved Mitt, Rom- Mitt Romney's life. And we've seen from recreations of footage that he was in the hall and could see lawmakers and took them the other way. We know that when Ashley Babbitt died, there were lawmakers on the other side of that door. We, we know that they got out like minutes before they got in. We've seen the pictures of them holding the, the uh, house doors closed. Like it's not... Like, we are incredibly, incredibly lucky that only a handful of people ended up dead, and only one of them was actually killed because they were refusing to listen. And whether or not she should have been shot is a different argument, but, like, the fact that none of the lawmakers were hurt is, is like, legitimately a miracle. I mean, there was actively people with the noose chanting to hang the vice president of the current president's party. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an ugly stain on our country for multiple reasons. Uh, I covered this episode. I covered this in my podcast last season, episode called uh, Chaos at the Capitol. For those of you interested a little bit more on my feelings on what happened during the the insurrection that day. 
the final thing I want to ask you, and this kind of just ties into what we were just talking about, is what exactly is going on in this country right now in, in regards to January 6th? I mean, not, not just with that commission, but rather what led up to it. You know, there are, there were so many people in this country who believed that the 2020 election was stolen. Stop the steel movement. Uh, a lot of politicians on one side of the aisle claiming election fraud, election fraud, election fraud. Say, and then you had subsequently, we just saw in the first few months of 2021, the tune of 300 plus bills in state houses across the country that were pushed in a way to restrict voting access for people. Like, why do so many people think that the election was stolen? Is it literally just because Trump lost or do you think it's more than that? I think a lot of it, well, a lot of the lawmakers who are pushing it are doing it for political reasons. Um, I think there's very few of them who truly believe that it was stolen. I think those are along the lines of the Marjorie Taylor Greens and uh, the Paul Gosars and um, maybe a couple of like state representatives because they are like, some of the state representatives are like, like truly, truly crazy. Um, but it's, it's a lot of just repetition for repeating it over. Like they're still arguing about this today. Like some of these people, Jenna Ellis is out. Jenna Ellis just tweeted today. Like when is the, the RNC going to tell the truth? And I'm like, are you, aren't you currently still lying about the election? Like today, um, these, like, these are the people they, they, the reason they cite these things, they say, well, Americans don't believe the election was fair. And the follow-up question is, why don't they believe that? Fair? Because you've been lying to them. Every time they bring up these voter suppression bills, and they're actually very clever about how they do this. They say, well, Democrats don't want voter IDs. And the response to this is, well, we could compromise on voter IDs. If it was universal, sent out, if there was, you know, you removed all the loopholes in order to get it, fine. Who cares? Whatever. Um, the true question is, you keep saying this is about election integrity. Can you prove in any way, shape, or form that there is fraud enough to require this? Because there's, I think you told me that there was only 16 cases uh, total. Um, yeah. In Texas, there's 16 cases of people using the wrong address. There's 17 million voters in Texas. So we're talking 16 cases out of 151 million votes. Like this is not an issue in which you need to have the ability to uh, to stop mail-in balloting, to um, remove all but one drop box in Harris County in Texas, to attempt to throw out 120,000 people's votes, to, in Georgia, to be able to remove the Secretary of State's ability to oversee the election and then fire everyone as far down as they need to go to replace them until they got the result they wanted. These things don't secure an election. If you want to actually secure election, let's talk about having laws about whether or not you can actively lie about the outcome. That is a good way to end that conversation, ladies and gentlemen. Fresh faces, new ideas. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Can you tell everyone where they can find you at on Twitch and on, on, on social media? Absolutely. So you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash fresh faces, new ideas. I stream usually uh, 1 p.m. EST. It varies depending on uh, things, but it's usually around then. And if, you, if I'm not streaming then, well, then you can find generally the VODs at Fresh Faces New Ideas on YouTube, or you can find me on Twitter at Faces Ideas. I have uh, my YouTube, my Twitch, and my Discord attached to my Twitter uh, handle, so you can find all that. I put all my updates in my Discord. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's where I am. It's Fresh Faces New Ideas for everything. Uh, 
that's really it. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you for checking it out. For anyone who is interested, click in the episode notes below and you'll have in the description there, you'll see the links that he just referred to, Twitch, YouTube, Twitter. So definitely check out those links by going ahead and clicking below right now. To everyone else, we'll be right back with after my last break here with my final thoughts of the day. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. I want to thank my guest, David, the host of the channel, Fresh Faces, New Ideas. This is something that I had not done previously, having somebody come on from the Twitch world. But I have to say, for those of you who have not been there before, I was always convinced that Twitch was nothing but watching people play video games, which hasn't really been something that I've ever been interested in. However, I realize that a lot of people are interested in it. But there are other things happening on Twitch from what I came to realize as I kind of was like shedding my boomer shell a little bit and coming to the realization that there are lots of political debates that go on on Twitch and they're not you know, trolly or in the sense of, you know, just a bunch of people more or less just saying a bunch of dumb things. There's actually very strong substantive takes that happen on there. Very intelligent conversations, productive conversations. There are some who organize these panels who go out of their way to structure it so that there is a representation of conservatives and liberals so that you are in real time hearing both sides of any given argument. It's a very interesting place to spend some time and I, I recommend it. I also recommend checking out Fresh Faces New Ideas. Again, the link for his Twitch channel is in the description and you do not need a Twitch account to watch videos on Twitch. So feel free to check the link out and you don't have to sign up if you don't like it. So there's, there's really, uh, there should be no hesitation to go check it out. Now, with all that being said, if you are interested, again, in following me and my podcast, the best way that you can do that is by following me on Instagram at Independent Thought. You can check out my stories because that's where I post daily. It is the best place to keep up with the podcast. And if you are, again, one of those new people, this is your first time listening, please go ahead and subscribe if you liked the episode. The subscribe button or the follow button, depending on what platform you're on, should be right next to my logo. And if you really liked the episode, you know, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'll give it a five out of a five, feel free to share it on social media. Tag me if you feel so inclined. Uh, definitely share this podcast. I really would appreciate it if you did that. It goes a long way into helping me reach a wider audience. So let's talk about what's coming up next. I am trying to do my best to craft some of my own debate panels here on Independent Thought. Last season, I briefly covered the, well, I shouldn't say I, I and three others covered the infrastructure package in its, in its first draft form. 
And I thought that it was a very good conversation between myself, Hunter, Carissa, and Lloyd. I am hoping to have those people as well as new people coming back on in the not too distant future, hopefully in the next episode or two, and having future conversations in a kind of a debate panel fashion. So panel-based episodes are coming very soon. Be on the lookout for them. And in the meantime, please check out some of the older episodes, not just what I've done so far here in season four, whether it be the episode about the Boy Scouts or the episode about critical race theory or my most recent one, my interview with William Compton, who's running for the second congressional district of Kentucky, but also some episodes back in season three. If you liked this episode and you have not already, go check out my seaweed farm episode back in season three. That episode came out the last week of April of this year in 2021. So definitely go check that out. And finally, if you have any questions, any comments, please reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter. DM me and tell me how you felt about this episode or any previous episode. I do appreciate when everyone DMs me and tells me their thoughts. And in the future, probably the best way to do that will be leaving some comments on YouTube videos, but the YouTube channel is still somewhat under construction, but feel free to check it out as we're still making some adjustments on there. You can find me on YouTube again at independent thought. That link is in the description as well. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. I will see you in the next one. Let's fix the climate.